Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We'll be joined later by KCRA television cameraman Mike Carroll, who will talk to us a bit about his good friend, the legendary film director Russ Meyer. We'll also be joined by an old friend of ours who hasn't made an appearance in quite some time, Sacramento attorney Stuart Gardner. Might be time to note an old quote, one from Niccolo Machiavelli, which I think uh, is apropos to many of the discussions we have on this program. Machiavelli said, There is no more delicate matter to take in hand, nor more dangerous to conduct, nor more doubtful to success than to step up as the leader in the introduction of changes. For he who innovates will have for his enemies all those who are well off under the existing order of things, and only lukewarm supporters in those who might be better off under the new. I think Machiavelli was right when he wrote that, uh, and um, I think he's uh, he was right in the 16th century, and he's right today. But it just means those of us who would wish to see some changes for the better have to work that much harder. So let us set to work today. We would note that uh, yesterday was Groundhog Day and that, uh, you know, in spite of all that stuff about uh, the rodent seeing his shadow, Groundhog Day does mark the midpoint between the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, and the first day of spring. Thus, it marks the halfway point through winter. And looking around at the weather we're we're exhibiting in the valley right now, it looks as though uh, spring has arrived. No doubt things will get colder. At least, I hope they get a bit colder. I'm not quite ready for spring yet. I haven't even gone skiing, have you? But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to get a little bit of snow time in before it all melts. And uh, if we do get a lot of uh, warm rains come this spring with all the snowpack, there's going to be some flooding. So be ready. Of course, with new flood control innovations, apparently uh, you're going to have to pay less in a lot of the flood-prone areas in uh, Sacramento County in the future. At least that's the promise. Uh, We're going to look into that a little bit later. As you know, we take a broad view on what constitutes public affairs on this show. Uh, We might bring up an item related to Caesar Augustus, if we think it's relevant to today's news. Uh, It's our opinion that a lot of of what you get trapped in on on the major media outlets, uh, they're fixated on what's happening today. So they'll barrage you with what's going on in the Michael Jackson trial and uh, not necessarily give you the background data that you need. So we, we try and take a longer view. We also like to interact with our listeners who have been kind enough to send in some wonderful emails, and I think we have some jokes here sent in by Sharon that are worth delving into. All right, number one, man goes to a wizard, asks him if he can remove a curse he's been living with for 20 years. The wizard says, maybe, but you'll have to tell me the exact words used that put the curse on you. Man says, I now pronounce you man and wife. Second joke. Man goes to the rabbi. says, Rabbi, something terrible is happening. I have to talk to you about it. Rabbi asks, what's wrong? 
Man replies, my wife is poisoning me. Rabbi asks, how can that be? Man says, I'm telling you, I'm certain she's poisoning me. What should I do? Rabbi says, tell you what, let me talk to her. I'll see what I can find out. I'll let you know, but give me a couple days. A few days later, the man calls the rabbi. Well, I spoke to your wife. Yes, rabbi. We spoke for six hours. Yes, rabbi. You want my advice? Yes, rabbi. Take the poison. And lastly, Art, Jean, and Don get to talking after a wake they've been attending. Don asks, when you're in your casket and your friends are mourning over you, what would you like them to say? Art says, I'd like them to say I was a fine husband and a great family man. Jean says, I'd like them to say I was a wonderful teacher who made a difference in people's lives. Don replies, I'd like them to say, Hey, look, he's moving! And we have an email from Jerry noting uh, in the wake of the elections in Iraq, uh, well, he sent a column by Ariana Huffington um, uh, from yesterday. We'll do some excerpts from this. Huffington, quick, before the conventional wisdom hardens, it needs to be said, the Iraqi elections were not the second coming of the Constitutional Convention. It was a great moment, a Kodak moment, but the triumphalist fog rolling across the landscape has all the makings of another mission accomplished moment. Huffington goes on to remind us that in the election, a lot of people uh, uh, fought to keep their names from being made public, and some of the candidates didn't know their names had been placed on the ballot. Apparently, 92% of Iraqis view the U.S.-led forces in Iraq as occupiers, while only 2% see them as liberators. I heard Talk of the Nation with Neil Conan a couple days ago, and he had a flack on from the Bush administration talking about how, oh, in the old days, people might have thought that we were... Uh, we were occupiers, but now they really have come around. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure you can count 2% of the population as coming around to the view that we're liberators. Anyway, Huffington noted in her essay about a new report from the Special Inspector General for Iraqi Reconstruction, uh, noting that before the so-called transfer of sovereignty last June, they were unable to account for $9 billion that we sent to Iraq. I would note the flack that they had on Talk of the Nation was saying, oh, yes, yes, uh, it's a shame we didn't have Western accounting. <laughs> I, guess, I guess their accounting's a little different over there in how they do things, and, it's, uh, and that was okay by him. Of course, we might mention this is the same administration that didn't seem to want to prosecute anybody at Arthur Anderson for their fine work for Enron. Anyway, Huffington concludes with a viewpoint that, uh, that we share, saying this was still the wrong war at the wrong place at the wrong time. In that essay, Huffington mentioned the, uh, the, the famous quote from George Satayana that those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But uh, we've noted on this show of late that even if you do know the past, it sometimes seems you're condemned to repeat it. Case in point, email sent us by, uh, from Lisa in the Bay Area who listens uh, on the web, uh, who dug up, and I was sent this actually by three different people, uh, dug up a strangely uh, familiar moment of deja vu from the news media an article from the New York Times dated September 4th, 1967, titled U.S. Encouraged by Vietnam Vote. Article by Peter Gross, written in 67, 
noted that the United States officials were surprised and heartened today by the size of the turnout in South Vietnam's presidential election, despite a Viet Cong terrorist campaign to disrupt the voting. According to reports from Saigon, 83% of the 5.85 million registered voters cast their ballots yesterday. Many of them risked reprisals threatened by the Viet Cong. If uh, you're old enough to remember the experiment in democracy that took place in South Vietnam, you'll be somewhat less encouraged by the, uh, the rosy pronouncements of the Bush administration at present regarding Iraq. After uh, Nguyen Van Chu and Nguyen Cao Ki were elected president and vice president of Vietnam, largely because they managed to finagle their names being placed seventh on the ballot. Seven is the lucky number over in Vietnam. Uh, afterwards, they decided that it would be really unhandy if they had to run for re-election against other candidates. So uh, when they got around to, to running again a few years down the road, they made sure they ran unopposed. And if your memory doesn't go back to Vietnam, uh, perhaps it goes back far enough to remember what happened in Afghanistan following the Soviet invasion in the late 1970s. The U.S. and Saudis, using Saudi money and U.S. taxpayer dollars, funded the Mujahideen efforts to evict the Soviet invaders from Afghanistan. A lot of the individuals engaged in that effort to dump the world's uh, number two superpower out of Central Asia are now turning their attentions on the U.S., people like Osama bin Laden, a Saudi trained by the CIA. We're going to address that issue of Saudi money and, uh, and sort of revisit the fact that 15 of the 19 hijackers on September 11th were Saudis. We're going to take a look at that in future shows, but I just want to mention it today. In conjunction with the um, article which you might have read on Sunday's Sacramento Bee, courtesy of the AP, regarding a couple of people coming forward to mention that the Iraqi war has now become a beacon for terrorists, much as the Afghanistan war had been in the 1980s. In Davos, Switzerland, it was noted that uh, senior RAND Corporation analysts told a business and political elite conference, which was the World Economic Forum, that the war in Iraq has become a homing beacon for Islamic militancy, threatening to destabilize neighboring countries and embolden terrorists to attack elsewhere. Terrorism analyst Bruce Hoffman said, in terms of perception, we've already lost the war. I believe that a cult of the insurgent has emerged in Iraq. He went on to note that the insurgents have been able to inflict a degree of pain on the United States military that Saddam Hussein's conventional forces couldn't have achieved. The Iran analyst did not say whether he thought the invasion of Iraq was justified, but he did criticize the Bush administration for failing to consider its consequences. Quote, Our failure there was to not anticipate the repercussions and the blowback that Iraq could bring, and the fact that Iraq could become a clarion call for the Islamic cause. Also in Switzerland, Kenneth Roth, the chairman of the Human Rights Watch Group, said that the pictures from Abu Ghraib have become recruitment posters for terrorists around the world. He said that scandal was not an aberration. Abu Ghraib was the predictable consequence of policy decisions taken at the senior levels of the Bush administration. Suggested also that our current strategy of bringing conventional forces to bear in places like Fallujah is not effective as most of the insurgents there slipped away to take up their operations elsewhere. And shades of George Santayana, I remember when I was in high school and, and a military uh, official came to talk about what was going on in, uh, in Vietnam to the kids in high school. I asked the question of why it was we would go into an area, fight, and then leave, not hold the territory, unlike in World War II. And he sort of smiled condescendingly. The military guy didn't say, well, we're fighting a new kind of war. 
Indeed we were, and it, it didn't turn out so well. So it, uh, it makes me very sad to see that we're still fighting a new kind of war in Iraq, and, and I'm not sure what lessons we've learned. And maybe you noted the Doonesbury Strip from uh, a few days ago, where Roland Burton Headley is reporting from Baghdad, noting that uh, the fact that the U.S. is building permanent bases throughout Iraq shows they're digging in for the long haul. Publicly, some officials now concede U.S. troops won't be coming home for at least five years. Where the anchor then asks him, what do they say privately? Headley responds, 10 years. If they're drunk, 15. It's been my belief on this show that uh, certain individuals, certain politicians, certain political factions located in the Lone Star State of Texas are doing everything they can to damage California. That's been our point of view. So when I started reading this story about, uh, about the fact that the Los Alamos National Laboratories have been punished by the U.S. Energy Department, in fact, the University of California, you know, which you're a part of by listening to this radio station, the University of California has been hit with a $6 million fine, in essence, a cash shortfall. Instead of getting the usual $8.7 million to run nuclear labs, UC's only going to get $2.9 million. Why? As punishment for the fact that, well, their security is out of whack. Remember the story about the missing disks? They spent six months looking for these missing disks of high security value. 12,000 Los Alamos employees from janitors to nuclear bomb designers were taken off their regular chores and required to sit through training sessions to boost their security and safety consciousness. Well, buried in the story is the fact that apparently it was all a wild goose chase. There were no missing computer disks. Someone created a barcode for these disks, I guess, to take account for accounting of them but never actually got around to creating the disks. Therefore, there were no missing disks. You'd think that was mean that if there's no missing disks, things aren't so bad, they don't deserve the punishment. But if you thought that, you'd be wrong. They're going to inflict $6 million worth of punishment on UC. In spite of the fact that what had them all in a lather, the great security breach apparently is non-existent. Now, the consequence of this, where this is all headed is, well, UC may just, you know, lose the right to run these labs and get the billions of dollars to run the labs. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I smell Texas somewhere in the middle of this. But I read on the article uh, by the Chronicle science writer, Kerry Davidson, about this till I came to the very end where it noted that, sure enough, the Chronicle reported on January 14th, the University of Texas had opted not to compete for the Los Alamos contract. Texas had been viewed as UC's most serious academic competitor for the job, not only because of UT's size, but because of its political connections to the Bush administration. I kid you not. I figured out the punchline before the end of the article. Except now they're saying it won't be the University of Texas. But you watch. If UC, if the University of California loses the contract to run the nuclear laboratories, it's going to go to somebody who's rather more Bush-Cheney administration friendly. You watch. You heard it here first on Radio Parallax. All right, in our last few minutes of segment one today, we ought to, uh, ought to have an old friend return to the program. Um, criminal defense attorney Stuart Gardner returns after a long hiatus. Welcome back, Stuart. Thanks, Doug. It's great to be back. You and I were talking some time back, and I thought we got to do this on the air, about a new law that's going to go into effect in next June. Oh, yeah. it's uh, Unfortunately, I was reading the paper, and a law passed late last year 
that says you're going to have to keep your lights on when it's raining starting i believe it's going to be july 1st which is pitiful i mean so okay now it's it's now law you have to have your lights on when it's raining yeah somebody thought this was a good idea to just Uh require us to do a little more work what what about all those you know since i was about like five i've seen various stretches of california highways that have light test areas after after like 40 years and they finally decided that this is what we need to do yeah isn't that sad it's uh yeah it's obvious if you have your lights on people notice you but people get used to seeing the lights on and then they just ignore it so i don't know how this is going to help anything and after years of testing if it was pervasive evidence that it was more helpful why didn't we just do the lights on all the time for everything it's just i haven't seen any evidence there are some countries i believe where you have to drive with your lights on i know for a fact sweden sweden's one but I haven't seen the rest of Europe make it mandatory, and I don't know why we're doing it Well, here. how about if it's misting? Well... How do you define raining? How, 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 how are we going to define raining legally? <laughs> or foggy, but it's a wet fog. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and is it going to be left up, up to us, or in the future, manufacturers of automobiles going to have to have their lights turn on automatically like a motorcycle oh, light? Oh, God. I don't know. I, I thank God. Well, at least we'll have a few months to ease into it, because there's no rain in the summer generally. So Yeah, this is one of those sneaker-upper laws. I mean, if it was such a great idea, why didn't it go into effect when the law was passed back in December or something, instead of waiting till July? Talk about sneaking one through. It's just another small step in the road to more and more regulation. Well, speaking of more and more regulation, I know that you live in downtown, uh, somewhere near downtown Sacramento, and I'm sure you run into these various traffic obstructions, the so-called traffic calming downtown. Yeah, and the only thing that's calm about that is uh, my seething rage underneath. <laughs> I hate the traffic calming projects. And uh, Now, now if people don't know this. Some people in Davis may not be aware of this or in outlying areas, but they've actually put obstructions all over downtown in the middle of the street that you have to drive way around when you can pass it all. Oh, yeah. And the best part of this is, uh, you know, when it's raining and misting and the other people are coming towards you with their <laughs> lights on. having your lights on. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably be blinded and run right through one of these things. And these things are basically almost like little mini sidewalks or curbs. Mm-hmm. And they're perfect for taking out the bottom of your car if you have a small vehicle. Have you noticed how many of them have, have rubber marks on them? <laughs> I have. I certainly have. Virtually all of them now <laughs> I, have, have rubber skid marks all over their surface. I think of all the ripped oil pans and ruined engines. and <laughs> just well, It's pitiful. It's is sad. It, is, it, is this a gold mine for you attorneys to sue the city? And I hope you will. It's no gold mine at all. I, I, I don't think you can win. I just don't understand how it's legal to put those things in a public thoroughfare to start with. Right. If you leave, like, say, you know, an old engine block in the street in front of your house, it will be frowned upon. But yet if the city comes in and puts, you know, an equivalent blockade. Yep. And, you know, the interesting thing is they camouflage them. They put little trees and things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't really exactly. know. And if you're a stranger in town and you're just driving along, say, E Street, for example, and you're not paying attention... Yeah, you could easily rip out the bottom of your car. And goodness knows, you see those signs that say, you know, don't enter here. Well, hell, they get ripped down all the time. Right. So if it was night, somebody could easily get hurt. Well, we're looking forward to the the Sacramento City Council's wisdom placing punji sticks on the sidewalks (laughs) in the future. Yeah. Stuart, I don't think we have time today, but I want you to come on next week and talk about the fact that convicted serial killer Michael Ross said, kill me. 
you should kill me. He killed eight women, was convicted of killing four, and now the state has stepped in and said the attorney may not have the right to facilitate what he wants. Yeah, it's pitiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful one-word summary. Come back next week. Let's talk about it at length. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Doug. All right. That was Sacramento criminal attorney Stuart Gardner, an old friend of ours. We look forward to talking to him more frequently on the program. But let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. <laughs> 